0: you're about to hear my conversation with Matt Moody. Matt is a Senior Portfolio Manager with the Ivy team. He will be taking over as head of our Ivy Boutique in September of 2022. Matt and I have a long conversation about his career, what he learned from Jerry Javasky and Paul Musson, and what you can expect from the Ivy Boutique going forward. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr and I'm delighted to be here with Matt Moody. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. Matt, uh, you have worked with the Ivy team for many, many years, and recently it's been announced that you will lead that team uh, in the coming months. Uh, And what I'd like to do is just uh, take an opportunity to understand a little bit about your background and and future uh, for the Ivy team. So maybe we can start with how you began your career. Sure. So
1: uh, I started it kind of by accident, really, Uh, after I finished my undergrad, I uh, picked up uh, Picked up sticks from Nova Scotia and moved to Toronto uh, with no real plan, really, other than sort of following my interests and kind of seeing where they would lead. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, working for a, a competitor of Mackenzie at the time. And it was a really great experience um, because it I, I got to know the industry pretty well. I didn't have a lot of pre-existing knowledge of mutual fund industry or, or really deep knowledge of investment. So I got uh, a pretty good introduction to it. And I saw a lot of things about it that interested me and sort of fit, uh, I think, my, my personality and my skill set and so on. And, you know, later I left uh, that company and, uh, and went back to school to do an MBA and sort of started to go down this path of hmm. maybe making investing my career. And uh, I got a chance in that time to sort of uh, test run it, if you will, uh, through an internship and uh, really sort of apply myself to investing at the time. And, and I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And uh, I thought I was decently well-suited to it, but well-suited to a certain kind of investing, if you will. Uh, so I left school sort of intending to uh, to get into this business, but with a very sort of narrow idea of, of what exactly I wanted to do and, and who I wanted to do it with.
0: Interesting. Uh, and we'll get more into sort of the investment style um, that's uh, that Ivy represents a, a, in a bit in this conversation. I'm curious though uh, when you initially made the decision on what you're looking for as far as investment style how close is it to where you've actually ended up where you have a very trenched uh, view of, of markets
1: It's extremely close and when I, when I look back on it it was uh, I had a sort of a terrible approach to, to finding a job after after I graduated MBA because <laughs> as I said I, I kind of wrote down the the type of investing I would like to do. Because uh, for me, it was really important to get in with a team where it was a not just a personality fit, but a an investment philosophy fit. Because I thought, you know, if I get that, I'll really enjoy what I do and I'll really be able to apply myself. And if I don't get that, I'm just kind of going to be uncomfortable and, and ultimately unhappy and probably leave. So I had my short list of investment teams that I wanted to work for uh and uh, yeah looking back it was a shockingly short list and there were like four or five names on it uh and ivy was one of them and you know i didn't know uh people on the ivy team at the time but i knew of them by reputation and through my prior job i had kind of gotten to know a bit about how it is that they invested and so at least from an outsider's point of view it looked like okay this is this is pretty interesting this is i think a good match for what i am looking for and so I just sort of uh, reached out to them directly and, and uh, you know, luck is a pretty big factor in uh, a lot of people's careers and mine is no exception. So I had uh, a lot of good fortune that, uh, that there was a good personality fit um, and that when I reached out to, uh, to Paul
0: Musson, uh, yeah,
1: it just worked. They were looking for somebody, uh, I fit what they were looking for and uh, yeah, it just went from there.
0: And, and how long ago was that, Matt?
1: That was in 2005, so I guess about 17 years ago
0: great. And at the time, uh, I believe you were just the third person on the Ivy team. Is that right? No, I was uh, I was the sixth
1: at the time. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, we had um, uh, Ivy Canadian, had a few managers on it. Uh, Ivy European uh, and Ivy foreign was Jerry, Jabasky and, and Paul. Uh, and then we had Stephanie Griffiths running a small mid-cap fund at the time. Uh, so I was number six, but I was paired with Again, good fortune. I was paired with Paul on the European side, uh, and he would be my, well, he still is, uh, my mentor. Uh, and that worked out uh, fantastically well uh, for me. I learned a lot from him, and, and maybe we can get into a little bit about that later on.
0: Yeah, great. Um, maybe we'll, we'll circle back to the investment style. Uh, so uh, you you found what style you'd like uh, in your MBA. Why don't we expand on, on exactly what you were looking for uh, and what appealed to you about uh, the way that Ivy does it? Yeah, I mean, when I looked at
1: Ivy and some of the other uh, companies that I was interested in and in working with, I was really just looking for old school investing, and that's kind of what Ivy was and is. Uh, you know, it's a bottom up approach, a long term focus, uh, conservative, and, and just focused on finding great businesses and not overpaying. It's sort of simple, but but difficult. But I wanted to make sure that. I didn't want to be on the end of the spectrum that's sort of involved in, you know, quarterly performance sweepstakes and getting wrapped up in the daily ups and downs of the markets. Uh, I really wanted to gravitate to a team that had a true long term approach, and that's what I thought IV represented, and I was right. Uh, and so, so that's sort of the, the better home for me.
0: Great, um, and. Uh, You mentioned that uh, Jerry Javasky, of course, uh, managed the team when you joined uh, and Paul Musson succeeded. uh, Two people that uh, have been well-followed in the Canadian mutual fund world, uh, to be sure. Um, I'm curious, what did you take from each of those uh, individuals uh, when when you think about your career development, both on the investment side uh, and potentially on the the team leadership side? Sure. So
1: with Jerry... um, you know, one thing that he emphasized uh, and by extension, the rest of the team emphasized more than I expected was just this aspect of corporate culture and the, the importance of it to evaluating the quality of a company and how much difference it can make in the fortunes of the company that you're looking at. And, you know, I've kind of been peripherally aware of of corporate culture, but I was sort of, my eyes were, were open to how crucial it can actually be. And for an analyst, Often it's sometimes difficult because you know it's not something that, well, you're not taught it in the CFA, uh, you may not be taught it uh, at university, you can't put it in a spreadsheet, it can't really be quantified. But none of those things mean that it doesn't matter. It actually overshadows a lot of those things that you can measure and that you can put in a spreadsheet. Uh, and it was always central to Jerry's uh, approach and learn from him sort of the attractiveness of it and sort of some ways in which he would go about trying to discern what that culture was. Because again, sometimes it's not easy from the outside to look into a company and really figure out what makes it tick and, and what the personality of the business is, but some things that, that he would do uh, to kind of uh, to kind of help shed some light on that. So that was something that, you know, it permeates the team still. Um, and, you know, it was a big part of, of Paul's investment personality as well. Uh, but it was something that that I noticed from Jerry when I first started.
0: That's great Matt. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper uh in some of the ways that uh, you you were able to discern corporate culture and in some of the uh, tangible ways that Jerry sort of laid out for you.
1: Sure. And you know, part of it is looking at annual reports and listening to company conference calls and with a slightly different lens. So you know, it is obviously important to go through the actual results and all the sort of footnotes and all those kinds of things. And they can tell you a lot of things. Um, But often you can look at those things, for example, with accounting. So choice of accounting policies or which type of adjusted numbers do they use? Uh, How, when they're talking about their business, either in the reports or on the calls, you know, how much time do they spend focused on, you know, the extent to which they beat their quarterly expectations and how much time do they spend talking about the long-term prospects of the business and trying to sort of bat away the inevitable questions from analysts about what they should expect over the next three to six months. So the way that companies talk about themselves and the way that management talks about the business and themselves can sort of give you some insight into how they run the business. And you know, we're not inside those companies, so so we can't really see what's going on. So we have to sort of uh, you know, look in whatever windows we can to try to to try to draw whatever conclusions might help us and figure out figuring out what type of business this actually is and how it's
0: run. Perfect. Uh, very interesting. Uh, I think I interrupted you, and you were going to talk about what you got from Jerry on the leadership side, and then maybe expand to, to what you got from Paul on both of those uh, characteristics as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know,
1: Jerry was somebody who uh, I would say just kind of led by example, uh, you know, he sort of attracted tremendous respect internally and externally, but he wasn't like a, a big personality. He just sort of, you know, put his head down and went about his daily business. But the way in which he went about it with, you know, humility and, and honesty and everything he did just sort of resonated with people. And it was clear to people in the group, including myself, you know, you knew, you knew which values were important to him. You knew which behaviors were important to him. Because they were the ones that he exhibited, uh, so it wasn't sort of you know uh, leadership one hundred and one. It's not sort of a Steve Jobs or a uh, type of type of thing, uh, but sort of quietly and very competently and skillfully going about his business. Uh, that sort of example fed down into the rest of the team. Now, and that's also true of Paul, by the way. Um, and a lot of the things that I would say of Jerry are also true of Paul, but I'll. I'll maybe expand on my relationship with uh, with Paul and what I've learned from him, the many things I've learned from him. Now, I mean, one thing that really stands out is just the client focus that he has. And, you know, it it's easy in this job to kind of, uh, we're a little bit separated from the clients that we're ultimately serving. We're very separated from the end clients, you know, the the hundreds or thousands of, of uh, Canadian investors who are out there you know, investing their hard-earned savings and entrusting us with, with protecting and growing those savings over time. Uh, we rarely get the direct connection with them. And, but our clients are also obviously financial advisors who are dealing with those end clients. And, but even there, it's you know sitting in our office and analyzing companies and looking at our Bloomberg terminal. It's, it's easy to forget you know, who our clients are and what they're expecting from us. And that's always been a very central part of how Paul views investing is very client focused. He drills that into the rest of the team and it's kind of permeated our culture as well. And to the point where, you know, we do consider it one of our one of our primary objectives. You know, we talk about performance of the funds and the performance that we'd like to achieve, but we're also very explicit that we want actual client outcomes to be as close to that performance as possible. And in this industry, that's not always the same thing. You know, sometimes, uh, uh, Investment companies and investment funds put up great numbers, but people buy and sell at the wrong time and there maybe you know they don't get the right clients in and so on. And so the end customers don't actually get those numbers that they so proudly sort of post on, on the internet. Um, and so you that's know, not really any good for anybody. Uh, and so we really try through you know through honest communication with people to try to get the right clients uh, into the fund because it's not for everybody. Uh, you know, explain to them what the Ivy style is all about, what they can expect from us, hopefully get the right clients in and hopefully work to keep them invested. And that's the only way that we can narrow that gap between fund outcomes and client outcomes. And at the end of the day, client outcomes is what we're here for. Uh, but that's something that's always been very central in, in Paul's view of investing and something that I've definitely uh, taken away from him over the years. And another thing that was obvious literally from day one uh, with me was... Paul's approach to developing people um, and the importance that that can play in the sustainability of an investment team and the sustainability of an investing uh, brand, uh, really. And, you know, I think back to when I first started and, you know, I didn't have a whole ton of experience. I was pretty green. Um, And Paul, you know, he gave me a company to work on right off the bat, but he started working on it together with me, or I should say in parallel uh, at the same time as me. So we would both work on this company. I would develop my model. He would develop his, we would come together. We would talk about what we learned and what we should need to investigate further, then we would go apart and and continue going down this path, come together. And it was, uh, frankly, a lot of work for Paul. And sometimes when you think about when you bring analysts on or more junior people onto a team. I think the view sometimes is that they're productivity tools to be used for the more senior people. And, you know, you want to lighten the load and and uh, get some more efficiency in the team through bringing people on and giving them tasks. Uh, but with Paul, it was kind of the opposite, where, you know, it was pretty clear to me that I was adding significantly to his workload uh, rather than taking it away because he was spending so much time with me and bringing me along. Um, but ultimately, that's how you that's how you build a team and that's how you, importantly, transmit a culture that's how i learned how paul thinks and that's how i learned how jerry thought and and incorporated that into you know how i think about investing and so what that led to i think is you know a a, a culture and investment style that permeated the whole team and was not wrapped up in one individual and and what we saw was you know when jerry retired and passed the reins to paul it was it was very smooth because the rest of the team was already investing in the sort of the Ivy way. And that's what gives me confidence and, and the rest of the team confidence that the upcoming transition will be the same because we've been investing um, together as a team in this way for a long time. And, and Paul has not made it about him and about, it's not a lead manager focused style. Um, it's a style that's very much focused on, on injecting the Way of investing into the veins of everybody on the team, so that it can sustain many years into the future. So, so that's something that I, I've definitely learned from Paul over the years, and and that uh, that we as a team are, are pretty focused on continuing. Uh,
0: that's excellent. And maybe we transition to talk about uh, the team uh, right now, and and also uh, your your plans for the team. It sounds very much like what Paul has put in place and Jerry before that uh, will uh, stay intact, and that you're you're very. Um, uh, committed to to that approach. I'm curious. You mentioned earlier about uh, trying to find ways of judging corporate culture from the outside looking in, because you only have a certain amount of windows. How would you encourage investors uh, when they're looking at the Ivy team to to both understand your culture and also judge how it evolves over time? Sure. So. I guess similarly to how we would look at a company and its
1: management team, uh, you can, uh, there are two things you can do. One is you can listen to what we say and number two is you can watch what we do. So uh, so listening to what we say, obviously there are things such as this podcast, but there are also you know uh, quarterly reports and other things that we put out. Uh, but more importantly maybe is the sort of the one-on-one meetings or the group meetings we have with advisors when we can sit down and explain what it is that we're doing, take their questions, Uh, see what they're concerned about and try to convey what the IV approach is. And hopefully, you know, whoever they talk to on the team will give a a similar message and a consistent message. And that message won't change after Paul Paul leaves. Uh, And it won't change whether you're talking to myself or any of my colleagues. Uh, So hopefully that consistency of message comes through. Uh, But then obviously you want to see what we actually do. Uh, It goes back to that, uh, uh, that saying, you know, don't tell me what you think, show me your portfolio, All right? So what, what are the actions that we're actually uh, taking part in? And so, so look at the portfolio, look at the names that are in there. Uh, We do try to explain uh, why it is we invest in in certain companies and why we may sell certain companies Uh, and hopefully, what you see in the portfolio and our explanations for why it's there and why some things may not be there match what it is we say we're trying to do and what it is we're trying to achieve. And so I think for, for outside investors that that's all you can do. And hopefully you can see a consistency there in in the message that we say and the consistency in, uh, in what we're actually doing within the portfolios. Uh, and, and if those things match up, then I think that should uh, give a pretty good sign that, that the culture is intact.
0: That's great. Uh, I'd like to sort of circle back to your development and your, uh, your career, Matt. Um, I've often heard uh, from analysts and portfolio managers that there's a, a very big distinction between what a good analyst does and what a good portfolio manager does. Um, I know that you've been managing the Ivy European Fund for for many years as the the lead manager. Uh, How how many years have you been managing that fund? And then also, do you agree with that assessment that there's a key distinction between good analysts, good portfolio managers? And what did you learn by managing the portfolio?
1: Sure. And, you know, again, back to the Ivy approach. It's always been one that we try as much as possible to not have that dividing line between analysts and PMs, where you know we want PMs to think like analysts and we want analysts to think like PMs. And so obviously when you start out and you're at the analyst level, you don't have as much responsibility. And that, but that responsibility grows progressively over time and you get more involved with the portfolio management decisions. And it's so um the line is so blurred that I actually can't tell you um I don't remember the date when I when I officially became uh, the PM or the lead PM on the European Fund uh, because it sort of happened progressively over time as I took on more responsibility. Um, but I think you can't you can't be a good PM without being a good analyst first and foremost. You have to understand what you're investing in and what makes for a good company. And I think you need that grounding. It certainly does add another layer of decision making in terms of okay, you've analyzed this company now, what do you do with it? Do you invest in it? Do you not? If you do, uh, you know, at what weight should you hold it, uh, and when should you sell it? And those are different decisions than the upfront analysis of a company, and they have different behavioral pitfalls as well. Um, but it's again something that we try to involve analysts in from the beginning uh, and progressively give a little bit more of that experience over time, uh, so that they it's not sort of a uh, uh, sort of a strict division, if you will, between the analyst and PM.
0: Excellent. Um, One of the uh, characteristics of the Ivy uh, in the past has been use of cash, perhaps the most controversial uh, part of the Ivy process where uh, there has been uh, over time significant amounts of uh, cash held within the portfolio. How do you view cash and what can we expect going forward?
1: Sure. So the level of cash, I should preface this by saying that this is uh, related to IV foreign equity, what I'm going to say, um, there are different levels of cash in different funds. Uh, there's not much use of cash in the IV Canadian fund. Uh, and there's a bit, uh, a bit more limited use in IV European and IV international. Uh, but in terms of IV foreign equity, which is what typically gets talked about when people mention cash, um, it has fluctuated over time. And, um, you know, it's, we've gone from at some points being basically fully invested, to having uh, up to 30 percent cash which we've had in recent years and you know the first thing I would highlight is we did have up until covid we were around that 30 percent level for uh, for a few years I'd call it uh, three or four years um, but it's important to note that that's that's not the norm in the long stretch of history of Ivy uh, it's kind of the higher end of what we've experienced and when we went through covid we had um, what we thought were very attractive opportunities to deploy that cash uh, which we did uh, not entirely we got it down to about 10 percent um, but uh, but in, in in a very short time period so um, so now it's come up a little bit since then uh, I'd say it's around in the 14 15 percent range right now and cash is is sort of a reflection of our long-term approach and what we're ultimately trying to achieve we're trying to achieve careful growth of capital for our clients over the long term. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to outperform every quarter, every year. Uh, And so it's not necessarily a call on what we think the market is going to do in the near term. It's not at all a call on what we think the market is going to do in the near term because we simply don't know. And we know that we don't know. So it's more a reflection of the opportunities and risks that we see presented to us. So if we're in a situation where we think we can invest in a lot of high quality, economically resilient businesses uh, with strong balance sheets at attractive prices, then that cash will come down. Um, But when we're in situations where we were pre-COVID, where we really didn't think that was the case, where we were kind of struggling to find those IV companies at good long-term expected returns, then the cash started to creep up and, uh, and, and sort of remained at that high level until we had those opportunities. Now, what should people expect in the future? Uh, I mean, the one thing I would say is that we, I, I wouldn't expect us to go back up uh, to that 30% level unless something you know, very extreme were to happen. Um, so, so that's not something that should probably be in the cards. Um, but cash is a tool that will likely continue to be used uh, to some degree in future. And again, not in a short-term market timing uh, uh, point of view, but really just a reflection of the opportunities we see in front of us. Uh, so, again, sometimes the question comes up, oh, the markets are weak. Are you guys heading to cash? Uh, we actually try to think in the opposite way. Like when markets are weak, it, we're more likely to, to see our cash go down. And when markets are very strong, we're more likely to see our cash go up. Uh, because, again, it, it's we're responding to prices. And when those prices are attractive, there's less reason for us to hold cash. So it's, uh, it's something that, uh, again, it's something we want to communicate clearly because it's not for everybody. Some clients uh, like that approach. Some clients don't. Uh, So it's important that we put it out there that that is uh, that is the approach that is being used and the reasons for using it so that people have a better idea of what to expect from us so they can decide whether it's not it's appropriate.
0: Excellent. Uh, I'd like to broaden the conversation out when we're talking about investment style. Uh, You specifically uh, hit cash there. You referred to sort of the overall, I'd say, performance expectation of Ivy, which tends to be slower growth in bull markets, capital preservation and down markets. Um, why should we have confidence that this is going to be the continued return pattern uh, as we look to the future? Sure.
1: Well, we obviously can't promise that that's going to happen, but I would say that's our expectation because it's, it's baked into our culture and the way we invest, right? So, you know, it, it comes, it's an outcome of being conservative and being worried when people are taking on too much risk and being excited when people are, are running away from risk. a little bit of a counter-cyclical way of thinking and acting uh, that over time has led to that performance pattern, right? Um, And some of the ways specifically that it comes into play, you know, when we're analyzing companies, we we always analyze them on a 10-year basis. Uh, And we know we're not going to be exactly right. We don't know exactly how businesses are going to develop over 10 years. But what that frame of analysis forces us to do is to First of all, really stress test a business's competitive advantage to see how sustainable it is. Uh, and that hopefully helps us to avoid, it has historically helped us to avoid some frothy areas of the market that frankly were not sustainable. Um, but it also forces us to consider the impact of a recession or a serious downturn on that business without predicting when that downturn is actually gonna happen, all right? So basically in any 10 year period, something bad's gonna happen to basically any industry or, or broader economy. So by factoring that in to our analysis, uh, it, it does help us to be a little bit more conservative and to not uh, sort of invest in a pro cyclical manner. Uh, that's, that's hopefully sort of an outcome of that. Also, there's this valuation discipline that we have as a team, you know, we, we try, uh, You know, we are a quality focus. So it's quality businesses at attractive prices not uh, cheap businesses that are of good enough quality. So quality comes first, but we do have uh, this valuation discipline overlay so that, uh, you know, we don't expose ourselves and our clients to the risk of uh, holding on to stocks as they climb higher and higher and the valuations get a bit divorced from the underlying fundamentals. You know, there are some great companies out there that we just don't invest in um, because, uh, because we don't think that the price is conducive to kind of you know, responsible long-term investment. So having that, you know, having that long-term view, always assuming a recession will happen, having that valuation discipline, I think helps us uh, avoid some of the uh, periods of excess risk taking in the market. And also, frankly, just the personalities of the people on the team. We try to get people on the team who are amenable to that way of investing, who are probably naturally a little bit conservative in what they do, um, and who are, frankly, willing to Uh, be in the uncomfortable position of underperforming uh, for a period of time. Uh, I mean, obviously for the right reasons, Uh, we don't like underperforming. Um, But if we're underperforming because we think there's too much risk and we're not willing to take on that risk, then that's quote unquote, good underperformance. And you need to have people on the team who are you know, behaviorally amenable to investing in that way, because it's not fun. And, and some people don't wanna do it or don't like doing it or are not well suited to it. So we try to get people on the team who who match the Ivy way of investing. And then we just sort of apply that style consistently. And the outcome has been what you said, You know, we typically don't do well in bull markets. We typically do do well in bear markets. Um, it's not an explicit target, but it's been uh, over the last 30 years, it's been a natural outcome of, of what we do.
0: That's great, Matt. And just for a point of clarity, uh, when we say uh, um, underperform in in bull markets, we're talking about relative performance, of course, uh, as opposed to absolute performance. Uh, Last question for you, Matt. Um, I've heard uh, that you uh, uh, have practiced karate for many, many years. Uh, and I'm curious, uh, we've talked a lot about discipline. We've talked a, l- a lot about uh, sort of the conservative nature. Uh, in my mind, that sort of applies to both disciplines. Love to know uh, what have you learned from karate that you apply to investing or perhaps even vice versa? Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And yeah, it has been many years, probably uh, yeah, over, over 30 years now uh, that I've been doing that. And uh, yeah, in addition to the things that you pointed out, which are valid, um, I'd say one Overlap is the the importance of keeping your emotions in check. I mean, that's something that my you know karate instructor is, has sort of drilled into me over many many years. Uh, it, you know, if you can't control your emotions in martial arts, then, then you're done. It ends badly for you. Um, and the people who excel at it really do have mastery over it. And that does apply a lot to investing. Uh, I mean, there's the classic fear and greed cycles that you know everyone's. Everyone's susceptible to them. Doesn't matter who you are, uh, and they're very, very detrimental to your long-term returns. If you uh, if you succumb to fear at the wrong time, or if you succumb to greed at the wrong time, uh, so trying to keep those big macro waves, try not to get overexposed to those, it goes a long way to to building long-term wealth. Uh, but really, just at a micro level as well, like at sort of individual investing in individual businesses, there are a lot of emotional pitfalls that you can fall into. Uh, you know, holding on to stocks too long um, because it feels good when they keep going up, even though the underlying fundamentals may not suggest that they should, uh, you know, becoming enamored with an, with a management team uh, and letting that cloud your view of sort of a level-headed view of the company underlying that management team. Uh, you know, maybe doing some correct analysis, but some, something. So, uh, your emotions are holding you back from investing in that company for some reason. Uh, there are a lot, a lot of emotional pitfalls in investing uh, and uh, and I think or I hope at least that uh, those many years of, of of working on that in uh, in sort of the martial arts realm has had some spillover effect. Uh, and maybe vice versa, I don't know.
0: Well, Matt, uh, I appreciate uh, you spending the time with me. Congratulations on the promotion. It's well deserved, uh, and I really look forward to working with you going forward.
1: Thanks very much. Happy to be here.
0: Summers in Canada are short and precious. I hope you're having a great summer. I know I am, but you're going to hear less from us from Mackenzie Investments podcast. You can expect to hear from us weekly in September, but in August will be a little bit less than weekly. Thank you. forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions.